Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We spoke earlier today to James Sykes, who's the CEO of Baseload Energy, TSXV listed explorer near the Athabasca Basin. And he's got quite a unique uh, thesis. And he talks us through that today. So if you want our thoughts on that conversation um, today and indeed the company itself, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. We can also find detailed company reports, commentary from market experts from around the world on a variety of commodities and companies. There are training videos on there. There's summaries of other interviews that we've done just to save you a bit of time. And of course, there's a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other on there. So uh, do go and join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. James, how are you doing, sir? Doing excellent. How are you, Matt? Not bad. Not bad. Good, good to speak to you again. I mean, we haven't spoken since August. Are you keeping well? I am. Yeah, thank you very much. How are you? I'm putting on weight, but that, that's a whole other <laughs> subject. It's a whole other subject. And, and I have bought a pallet on in, in the hope that it'll go away. But what I've worked out is you need to use it. Owning it is not enough. Yeah. Very good true. advice, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, we better uh, we better have a quick catch up here on what's going on with you. So, why don't we start with that one minute overview, and then I'll pick it up from there. Absolutely. Baseload Energy, we're uranium exploration or high grade uranium exploration in the Athabasca Basin area, northern Saskatchewan. We're taking a different look to it, looking for high grade uranium in the basement rocks, looking for something that can go into production sooner than uh, any other discovery. We are fully funded, about three point five million in the bank, got tight share structure, and we're just poised to make a discovery. We're ready to get all rolling in 2021. Okay, thanks for that. Um, you, a few clues on what you said there. You're looking for something different. Um, you've got a very different uh, thesis, hypothesis, to sort of people in the Athabasca Basin proper. So um, why don't you tell us a bit about that? Because I want to I pick you up on a few things that you've kind of written and, and said in public. Yeah, we call it Athabasca 2.0. It's basically looking for uranium mineralization in the basement rocks. Uh, in all honesty, it's not something new. If you look at some of the original uranium mines, you've got uh, Uranium City, which is all basement rocks. You've got Rabbit Lake, which is basement rocks right on the uh, the Athabasca edge. So, you know, we're, we're taking an old concept, one that has worked very well, and applying it to the modern age. And by doing so, we think that we can make a discovery something that would go into production. Uh, there's a seminal paper back in 2010 by my old boss, Bill Kerr, and a consultant, Mr. Roger Wallace. The guy's a living legend. He's made tons of discoveries back in the 70s. And these guys basically came out and said, you know, why are we exploring for uranium and sandstone? It's, it, it's difficult, and we've, we've, got, we've got basement resources proven in the area. And actually, since that has come out, you know, what's been discovered? You've got triple R. You've got Arrow, you've got Griffin, you've got you know three major deposits there, over 500 million pounds of uranium being discovered in basement rocks. So there is that there's that huge potential, and these are the type of operations that I humbly believe can go forward. It's you know if you can find it near surface, here's your open pit. That's a no-brainer. With the grades that you see in the Athabasca Basin, you know, if you're averaging one percent, game on. Even if you're half a percent, that's huge. That's that's a beautiful deposit. So that's exactly what we're looking for. And we're just applying some new concepts and new ways and just even looking at a formula area that no one has looked at. So we're 
you know, we're, we're kind of stretching the envelope of what's been done and you know, applying a lot of a lot of research and a lot of understanding of Athabasca uranium over the last 10 to 20 years and just yeah, really putting it into into base loads project portfolio going forward. Okay, so, so break this down for me. Actually, before we get into the technical stuff, tell me a bit about you. So, what, so why have you got the right to tell people perhaps they're doing it wrong? What's your track record? Well, it, it's not that people are doing it wrong. There's everyone's got their everyone's got their opinions, and having a discovery is a great thing. I want to I want to make a discovery that goes into production. Oh, I, I have been down this road, working with Hathor, and seeing what uh, and seeing what Rio Tinto has been able to do. You know, we thought that was we thought that was one of the best deposits out there. Lo and behold, we found out that that's not something that's easy to mine. There's a lot of complications with that. So that's you know that was starting that was a learning curve right there. You don't you have to start looking at things from the rea- realistic situation. Knowing that, I actually started going back and doing some more research on other deposits around the area, uh, Midwest. You know, that, that's discovered in 1978, still not production. Why? Because it's got that sandstone issue. And you can you can find these examples all over the Athabasca Basin. And then, so I, I started thinking, I started doing some more work. I'm looking at the basement possibilities. Triple R, Fission uh, made the Triple R discovery and that kind of opened up the idea that, hey, look, you know, this is a whole new, ba- whole new area in the Athabasca Basin that everyone's just written off. And here's this, you know, here's this high-grade deposit in the basement rocks. And so when NextGen came along and I, and I got on board with that, we're looking at the exact same scenario. We're looking for something that we knew we were right on the Athabasca Basin margin. margin. So it could even be like a Key Lake type scenario. Now, what we discovered though was something that was completely basement hosted. There's really no sandstone expression of this thing at all. And that just, all the wheels just started turning in my head. That hamster was going 24 seven on hyperdrive. So it, it really makes a nice viable model. And then you had Denison's Griffin discovery, which again, just keeps showing that, hey, you've got these basement rocks with, with the potential for 50 million pounds, 70 million pounds. Now, you, you want to take that one step further. You've got the sandstone. Yeah, uh, we don't want the sandstone. There's too many issues with it. Cigar Lake is my prime example, discovered back in the 70s as well. Uh, it was discovered before MacArthur River. But MacArthur River ended up being mined first. Why? Because it's just yeah, easier to get to. But back in the 70s, not in production until you know, in the late 2000s, 2010, somewhere around there. So that's 40 years uh, from discovery to mining. Investors don't want to wait that long. I don't want to wait that long. I want to see something go. So you get rid of that sandstone. The glaciers, well, you can step outside of that. Then you get glaciers, remove any of the sandstone outside of the current day basin. What they've also done, what the glaciers have also done is removed some of those basin rocks. You take Arrow, for example, you say Arrow is here, here's the unconformity. And Arrow starts here about 100 meters, 200 meters below the unconformity. Glaciers remove everything up here. Now you can find a basement host deposit that is right near surface. That's an open pit. That just makes everything easier. Any commodity in the world, I think it's pretty fair to say, like I'm not a mining guy, but I think it's pretty fair to say an open pit will trump a basement deposit any day. Obviously it depends on the, the economics and the, the, you know, the size of the deposits, 
the grade of it. So this is where this is where the thinking is. So we're in an area where, where we've staked our properties. We're in an area where we think that the Athabasca Basin did you know, did cover at some point. We need those fluids. And we've got the right structures. And that's when you really look at the whole grand scheme of things, it's all about structures and fluids. Structures and fluids. It's a very simple concept. Okay, so let me try and break that down. Okay, no one wants overburden. Everyone wants open pit. Means there's you know less cost. You get at get at it uh, quicker. Um, but I've also read that you are talking in sandstone as uh, hosting water, and that can cause problems. Is it, you know, and I think you talk talk about you know um, Cigar Lake there um, as, as a case in point, but. Are you also trying to say that some of the players in the Athabasca Basin are going to have problems down the line because of the sandstone, not just because of the overburden component, but because of water? Absolutely. That's The Athabasca Basin is a flowing aquifer. So, again, you got to use history. you got to use what's been done in the past as the example. you got to see what's happening now as the example. Denison's another great example with trying to, trying to figure out how they're going to mine Phoenix. They can't go underground for it. They've looked at it, it's too costly. What are they trying to do now? They're trying to do ISR. I don't know if it's gonna work. If it works for them, they've changed, they've revolutionized everything. And they're not the only company who's been doing this. Arano's been doing this for years and they've been looking into it and they still can't get it to work properly. So it's great on them to try these new deposits, new new mining methodologies, that's fantastic. You know, we need to revolutionize what's going on. There's a lot of uranium, unmined uranium, sitting in the basin, and it's you now it just it needs to come out at some point. But you want something that can come out quickly. You want investors to reap the rewards of your discovery now and not 10, 20 years down the road. You need something that can be mined in a very economic sense. Key Lake was right at the end of conformity edge. All of the mines that, that have gone into production have either been right in the basement rocks outside of the outside of the Athabasca, or right along the edge within uh, within 100 meters of sandstone depth. Anything below 100 meters is not economic because you can't keep up the water with the water infiltration rate. So that's that's the issue right there. So a conventional open pit in the world, you can go 200 meters, you can go 400 meters down. That's you know it's easy, no problem because they don't have water issues. Not like not like the Athabasca sandstone. You know, people have been on the beach. And obviously, this is the Athabasca sandstone is not a not a beach at one point. Yes, it was. You know, it's all sand. It's all it's all compressed together. It's all it's rock now. But there's still that porosity, and the water is just flowing through that porosity. It's this is not a, a very tight rock like granite or anything like that. So that's where the big differences come. The only two mines that have been mined in the Athabasca Basin, deep in the sandstone, MacArthur River. Cigar Lake. Well, guess what? They're also the largest tonnage mines out there, and they're also the highest grades. These mines have 20% U308. That's ridiculous. They're the most valuable commodities in the entire world. That's what makes them affordable to go after. You find something of less grade than that, probably not going to happen. So you either need to find a monster, which is difficult to begin with, or you got to think outside the box. You got to find something new, something that will work. So yeah, Great for Denison to try that. Uh, hope, I really hope it works out for them because I, you know, I do have my Denison ties. But from the baseload point of view, we want to find something that will go now. We want to we want to find something that can get into the next uranium cycle. 
So we're not looking, and we're not looking beyond ten years. We're looking five years, five to ten years. Okay. So you, again, just 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 summarize. You're saying that within the Athabasca Basin, there are some very high uh, grades, um, and there's some, you know, lots of explorers, um, you know, drilling very high grades in the Athabasca Basin, but there's the sandstone component, there's the water issues. I guess the water issues has knock-on effects in terms of things like like permitting, uh, First Nations issues, th- those sorts of things. Yeah. No, that's not a problem? On the exploration on the exploration side of things, that water that water's not an issue. It's only when you get down into the mining scenario that it becomes an issue. And that's it. See, exploration is completely different. That's why I don't, you know, from, from making a discovery point of view, Working in the sandstone is actually probably one of the best things you could do because that sandstone, if you think about it, it's like it's like a painter's canvas that is completely blank because there's nothing. It's just sand. Everyone knows sand. Sand's just basically quartz. So there's there's nothing. There's no geochemistry to it. There's no. You know, it's it's pretty dry clay. Um, by dry, I mean geochemically. I don't mean like uh, physically. But so it's a dry canvas. Once. You know, here's your unconformity. Once you have these faults come up and hit that unconformity and breach it, then you're changing the chemistry of the whole system and you get these plumes coming up. So now you're painting on that canvas. That's what makes exploring in the sandstone. You know, it's wonderful. It's such an easy thing to do. But to make a, to, to make a discovery there and move it forward, again, I, I've learned from my half wordings. I, I don't see the value in it from an investor point of view. I'm invested into all these companies that I work with. Well, it's, I want to see something go. I, I, that's my big dream here. I want to discover a lot of uranium, but more importantly, I want to see something that can go. That's the big differentiator. Okay, yeah. It, where I was going with that was, I was saying, you know, with water, so the explorers are, you know, getting high grade results, fantastic. But at some point, you're going to move it forward into development and it's going to try and be a mine at some point. The water issue and water tables, water plateaus, water basins, they, they, they conduct water, right? So water moves there. Is, does that make it more difficult to get the permits you need, to get the licenses oh, okay. that you need, to get permission from First Nations? Perhaps I've got slightly different drivers from the, you know, companies with economic drivers. So that's where it's getting at. Yeah, I can see, definitely see the permitting being an issue because obviously you're creating an unsafe environment if not done properly. Both, both Cigar Lake and MacArthur River flooded twice. You know, that's that's a big safety concern. You're always you're always down there thinking, what can happen? You know, are we going to flood? Uh, are we going to lose any lives? So yeah, permitting wise, that can be a huge issue. That can be a massive hangup. Uh, from the First Nations point of view, I honestly don't know because I don't see how it would affect their way of living because it's not this is not something that's coming up the surface and affecting the lakes. This is just this is water that's hundreds of meters deep. So that's, so yeah, I, that's what I think would be uh, where the issue is. So I'm just, I'm just trying to understand it. Are, are you trying to tell us an anti-Athabasca Basin story here, or are you just saying our story is easier because it's going to be cheaper, less overburdened, it's going to quicker quicker to get to a point where we can mine, we think we can get permits more easily. So what's, what's the story you're telling? Not anti-Athabasca entirely. Uh, just again, from from shareholder generation, I'm anti Athabasca. Well, I <laughs> I'm actually kicking myself in the in the butt for saying that because you look at you look at ISO Energy, they've rewarded their shareholders very nicely with what they've done. 
but I don't, I honestly don't think they can go that next step. That's what I want to do. I want to get that next step because you just reap more rewards from that. Okay. So base load is different. Yes. And the reasoning is because we just, we don't like that sandstone. And from an exploration's point of view, like being a geologist from an exploration point of view, I'd love to be in the sandstone again, just because I know how easy it is. And, uh, you don't even have to, you don't even have to drill base of rocks sometimes. You can just follow up, uh, follow up anomalies in the sandstone. Been there, done that though. You know, Hathor, Rough Rider's still sitting there. That's what we just, that was discovered in 2008. So you're going on 12 years now with no activity. Now, no plan of putting a mine in there. Just don't want to wait for that. Okay. So you're saying like, oh, wait, George, you want to be, we're going to create something which can be mined. That's not to say people can't make money on their way up with exciting high-grade stories, right? Because people are at the moment. I'm looking at next gen worth yep. whatever they're worth. You know, that's, they're worth a lot of money. Um, but you worked there, <laughs> you made some discoveries there. Um, you're saying that potentially that might be a long wait because of the, the sandstone issues, are you? Uh, next gen is a little bit different because it is basin hosted. There is a little skiff of sandstone on top. So how much fluid they actually get, don't know. That's, uh, that's something that could be a lot more like Eagle Point system, which Eagle Point is outside of the Athabasca Basin. It's in the basin rocks, very confident. And that is the next gen strategy strategy to go under. Uh, so I don't know all the technical technical viabilities of what they're looking at or what's going to happen. I know that all those faults do basically pierce the sandstone, so it is a it is a potential for water influx. Now that's so maybe there is that issue there, uh, but it should not be as difficult as something that is directly within that sandstone. You go 50 meters depth in the sandstone, you've got your water flowing. It, 100 meters and it's game over unless somebody revolutionizes how to mine which people are trying to do in all honesty i think the largest deposit in the basin is still out there but it's in the basin itself and it's going to be over it's going to be under a kilometer of of athabasca sandstones that's expensive to drill number one and to mine something like that well geez that's going to be really expensive you're gonna to have to start looking at doing some potash mining here in saskatoon go down with these massive rings that just They'll barricade all the water, but that's not the issue in itself. Again, because these things are all structurally controlled. Your structures pierce that unconformity. You've now created a water pathway, and water likes to travel down. It does. It does. Tell me this. It's just some terminology here for me. Okay, so again, I've been reading a lot of, about your thesis because I'm, I'm intrigued by it. I think I think it's really really interesting. It's different, different thinking. Um, you talk about um, uranium resources and you talk about uranium deposits. So how, just quickly, how do you define those so we understand for the rest of this conversation? Resource is something that's basically mineable, whereas a deposit is a discovery that has not proven to be mineable at that stage. Right, okay. So because there's so many Athabasca stories and you're sitting outside it and I promise to come on to your project. So I want to be able to understand what I should be thinking about certain companies technically okay so again you you're, you're, you've talked about your product being um an easily accessible mineralization and again that comes back to i guess the the sandstone components that's that's what you're talking about there um but how, how do you how do your structures different from differ from what um, you're seeing inside the basin apart from the sandstone component or are they just the same but it's just this overburden you're talking about. 
just the same without the overburden. That's exactly it. Okay. We're just, well, yeah, with what we're doing, we're looking for the right structures. Now, you can find structures anywhere across the, the whole Athabasca Basin country, you know, outside of the basin, inside of the basin. Structures are everywhere. But you need the right ones. You need ones that have, have longevity to them. Right, okay. So, why, why, why? By the time this video is posted, mm -hmm. by the time this video is posted, uh, you'll be able to review uh, a webinar that I'll, that I'll have on the website that will kind of allude to this. It's, you know, it's a two part video that talks about structures and the allusion to them. earthquakes. You know, with, a lot of people don't understand what structures are or faults. They hear these words. You know, when you, when you hear those words as a non geologist or just, you know, general person, Think of earthquakes, because that's exactly what they are. That's that's what earthquakes are. They're, they're faults, structures moving deep in the in the in the in the ground, and they're coming up to surface. The Athabasca Basin area has been inundated with these. It's a massive area. This whole area used to be a mountain belt that was larger than the Himalayas. So you've got two continents coming together, colliding, and creating this massive mountain belt. You're going to move rocks. There's no other way about it. So the pathways have been made. It's just a matter of finding that right one. You need longevity. You want you want your fluids to move along the structure. You need longevity. You need something that just that continues to allow fluids to percolate through. Right. Okay. So a whole bunch of a whole bunch of theory there. Your your thesis is clear. You've talked also about about being able to do this quickly, right? But let's look at your position today. Okay. What's your market cap? Market cap, we're sitting at about 16 million. Right. Uh, share price is at 40 cents as of yesterday. Uh, we've got about, what is it, 67, 67 million pounds fully diluted, mm -hmm. uh, very tightly held, which is excellent. So about 50% are held by insiders, 5% by you know, management and directors, the other 45% by our parent company, QC Copper and Gold, who used to be Power Ore. Uh, the rest of that's all. The rest of the 50% is made up of uh, retail and institution, retail and institutional investors. With the retail side, basically about 35, well, greater than 35%, and the institutional are uh, a little bit less. I love the retail side because these are the guys who have followed my career, and they know that a discovery, uh, it's not going to happen in day one. It's possible. Yeah, sure, it's possible it can happen. But the realistic side of things on, on exploration is that it may not happen on day one. So these guys are the type of guys who will back me and, and follow the company, and they're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna sell out right away. These guys have, you know, a good couple of years committed to it. So that's, you know, from our point of view, that's huge. These are the type of guys that you want to follow your company. They are, but let's be real about where we are today. Sixteen million market cap. Okay, you haven't really done anything yet. You've got a great thesis. It's different, and if people can understand it and um, you start delivering on that. Great, but come back to this word you use, quickly. How do you quickly deliver on it? And why is it gonna be any quicker than what the guys in Athabasca Basin, all these other juniors are, are, are doing? Well, that's an excellent question, Matt. And that's one that I can happily answer. So what we wanna buy quickly, again, working outside of the basin and looking for a shallower deposit, there's a number of ways that we can move this forward and quicker. So. Let's say we're looking for a deposit within 100 meters from the top. Number one, your drilling costs are less. You, you can drill 10 drill holes in 1,000 meters. You can delineate your deposit much quicker. You can probably delineate a deposit in one or two years. You're not sitting there for four years, five years trying to delineate something. 
you get it done. Boom, boom, boom. That's the beauty of this whole thing. <clears throat> so this is where everything just expedites and expedites. And then again, if, if you're within a hundred meters, even 200 meters, that's still shallow. And then you're looking at that open pit scenario. I can almost guarantee if you've got a 50 million pound deposit, maybe even 25 million pound deposit, you can have the majors knocking on your door simply because the economics exist. Now, if your grade is there half a percent and 25 million pounds even, well, that's, that's not the biggest deposit in the world, but that makes sense. That goes forward. You can have a Rio Tinto, you can have a chemical, a BHP, a Rano, you can have these guys knocking on your door. Maybe even some of the bigger guys like Denison, NextGen, they come knocking on your door. So this is how everything moves faster. This is how we reward everybody involved in the company. And you know, with, with my technical ability, you know, I, I, I'm pretty confident I know what I'm doing out there. <laughs> and I think with what we've staked, we've got amazing properties that will, we should be able to make a discovery you know, within one to two seasons. Uh, I would love to see a discovery made on our very first drill hole. I think that'd be amazing. We just have to wait and see what happens. Okay. Now, we're, we are very close to getting to that stage. So let's talk about that. So you got three and a half million bucks. Um, so when does the boom, boom, boom happen? When, when are we drilling? We're looking at 2021 as soon as we can. That's not very uh, quick. Right now we're just. Why aren't you doing it now? <laughs> Jeez, no pressure, hey? Yeah, we're trying to get the ball rolling. Uh, so what's holding yeah, you up? We, what, what's the problem? Seriously. We well, with everything else in the world, we have to do a COVID. Now, that has put a little bit, a little bit of implications on on everything and put a hold up. Uh, but we're also dealing with uh, with our permitting. So we did issue. We had our permits permit application go out in October, and they're just in review right now with uh, with the Saskatchewan Minister of Environment. They're the guys who issued the permits. Uh, the consultation with the First Nations and the stakeholders is ongoing. I'm doing my own personal consultations with them. Uh, I was actually supposed to have a meeting up in the community that we're going to be working out last week but they had to go into lockdown because of COVID. So that's kind of delayed our meeting, which has delayed you know, them being able to, well, you know, me meeting with the community and just kind of giving, uh, giving the complete rundown of what we plan to do, how we're going to do it, and them being able to tell me, uh, you know, these are our problems. And I just don't go to the, to the chief and council or the people who, you know, the bigger people in the area. I like to go there in person and be able to talk to everybody involved because everybody has a voice. They, so they do. So can I say, come back to the timing thing. So you've got some money was going to allow you to do how much drilling and what are you sensing that the timing will be? Well, see, we can actually start exploration. We're not going to start drilling right away, probably until 2021. But we'll I know, but that's what, January, that. September? What are we talking about? The January, yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. So it's better for us to get out there in the winter. Uh, but we can start our our gravity surveying, surveying first. And that's a survey that I definitely need to follow up with the, the airborne survey that we completed. So I, I love gravity. It's uh, I know how to use it. Worked with it in the past. Very efficient, and you can use you can save drill holes by doing gravity. That's a non-invasive type of uh, a non-environmental. Sorry, it has a low environmental impact. Basically negligible because they're just people walking on the ground. And they're not cutting anything down. They're not affecting any water. Uh, drilling doesn't anyway. But this is something where there's no concern with the First Nations or the community members in the area. So this is a permit that we can that I'm hoping to get by the end of this month, and then we can start the gravity surveying in December. Once we start doing that, then we can help and we can start generating our 
actual drill hole targets, which is what we need. So we can't just go out there right now and just say, okay, let's go drill here, here, here. We can, yes, theoretically, but it's going to take us four or five drills, whereas drill holes, whereas if we just do the gravity survey, now you've got two drill holes. Right, okay. So, so what do you focus on first? Because you've, you've got shadow and you've got hook. So what should people be looking at for? Where are you focusing? Right now we're looking at shadow. Hook's got a lot of historic work on it. We're still counting through the compilation there. There's a lot of information that's available for hook. So just trying to, we're kind of holding that off at the moment. Shadow has been our big focus pretty well since day one. That was the first property that's really got what got baseload started and generated a lot of buzz. I'm really excited about shadow just because it's, it's kind of my brainchild. I think it's you know, I think it's in the right area. I think it's got the right rocks, and it looks like it has so much potential to it. So, wonderful project. We're putting a lot of emphasis on that. Uh, we're not going to kill ourselves with uh, you know, with our with our exploration budget, the 3.5 that we that we have in the bank. We're not blowing all of that in one season. We're probably looking between 1.5 to 2 million. So we're still going to be healthy going into the summer and being able to kickstart any summer operations, which is where we'd be looking at going to hook, which would be more. It's honestly more uh, uh, formidable to go into hook in the summertime anyway than it is in the wintertime, uh, just because of the lay of the land and, and what's going on over there. Whereas shadow shadow needs winter access. Okay, so you, you're an explorer. You've got a track record of, of, of finding uranium, okay? It's, I think a lot of people know that, and of those don't, check some of the links below in the description. Um, What's your plan for moving this forward? You mentioned a few of the big majors and making it attractive enough for them, right? You know, and you, you talked about 20, 25 million pounds at you know, 0.5%. It'll, it'll, it'll be enough, right? But what are you trying to do there? What do you think you, it's going to be possible for you to do there? I mean, do you know how, what the scale of this is? No clue yet, but it could be huge. It could be massive. So what we have on our website is a video that kind of highlights the... Uh, the potential for the for the project. I can show you that right now. Yeah, okay, uh, let's see that. Okay, for it. All right, so you should have that on your screen. So with Shadow, we're working on the bridge and river shear zone. This is a huge or but a huge structural zone that you know, goes for a couple a uh, couple thousand kilometers. It's already got mineralization along it, especially up in the Athabasca Basin sandstones. So we know that potential for mineralization along this structure exists. If the sandstone was extended as we know it probably was because this is what we're seeing nowadays. We're not seeing what the sense, what the basin used to look like. The basin was a lot larger, but it's been eroded due to glaciation. Great area for, for shadow. Uh, you can see, you can see kind of where the Virgin River shear zone bends and then re-straightens out, which is where we've staked our property. That's what I really love about it. If you look at the actual shape of shadow, it kind of looks like a funnel. And that's the whole idea of it. Everything that I see to the north of Shadow is uh, pretty well homogeneous. There's nothing exciting about that in the geophysics. It's not until you get down to the funnel shape where we are that you start to see a lot of, of action happening, a lot of structural elements, geophysical, uh, geophysical interpretive structures, because we can't prove the structures yet, that that this is this is where there's a lot of excitement. So we did fly the airborne survey, the MT survey. And you can see here in the pink is basically what I would consider to be our favorable structures and or lithological packages. This is the, those are the rocks where you're going to find your deposits if they exist on the property. Now I'm making a huge claim here that we're targeting 850 million pounds of your Yeah. So, so based, based on what? So why not 2,000? 
Why not 100? Oh, what, what, how, how do you come up with a number like that? Because it, it could be construed as misleading if you, if you can't back it up. Very true. I totally understand that, which is why I do back it up. I'm just making that illusion that, which I'll show right here, basically, we've got four different target areas on the property that are based on geophysical similarities with other known deposits. For example, Arrow. Arrow's three, you know, 350 million pound deposit. The geophysics that had led me to, led me and my crew to discover Arrow exists right here on Shadow. It's the same geophysical setting. We see the divergence of conductors and the Venon magnetics. This is the type of area where you would look for the main, main structures to occur. This is potential area for, well, for another arrow. And as I was saying earlier, how you have the sense of the unconformity here, you've got arrow 200 meters down the down below. But now that we're further south of the basin, sandstone's gone, you know, 100 meters, 200 meters of that basin rock is gone. You find an arrow, more than likely, it is that much closer to the surface. So this is, you know, I'm not saying we're gonna find this. I'm not trying to be misleading. I'm just saying that what we have are similarities to 850 million pounds of U308 across the Athabasca Basin. So we continue that, we look at the whole Eagle Point and Rabbit Lake scenario, that's another 275 million pound system. The geophysics along Shadow are basically identical to what we see over at Eagle Point Rabbit Lake. The same, the same contours almost of, of, the, of the structural system and even the same offsets in the same directions. So even having those, this is what we can use to go ahead and target our areas. So it's, you know, it, it's already guiding us where we want to go. You look at Sula McLean, which is just uh, west of, of Eagle Point Rabbit Lake. And we're seeing that same type of system there. We're seeing the same geophysical trend. And it's, you know, theoretically, the rocks actually look the same. You'd have granite adjacent to graphitic schists, which is where you get your structures. And then Key Lake. Key Lake's my favorite. I'm not going to go into detail on that one. This is all on the website. But 200 million pound system, we see the same type of thing. It's this big, massive shear system that's coming through right along a hinge. So this is where we get our 850 million pounds. Now this is the the analogs. I've never seen anything else like it on any property. That you can pull out so many different styles of uranium mineralization and put it all on one property. I've never seen that. Uh, Shadow is the first time that this is that I've ever been able to do that. And this is why I'm really excited about the property. And I, I've never noticed these until we actually flew the survey. So what drove us into the area to begin with was looking at airborne radiometrics. And so up in the red zone, that's actually a pretty large trend of radiometric anomalies. So we're pretty confident those are near surface. What are they? We don't know yet. We haven't been out there to investigate. You know, it could just be background rocks, just uh, you know, outcrops but with higher elevations of uranium. But what I like about that is that you're right along the shear zone, which would be plucking away any type of uranium. Uh, that does occur on that system and incorporating that. What I also like is if you go down past the red polygon towards where I have Key Lake Circle, there's a radiometric anomaly right there, right where I have the, the Key Lake target. So it's, it's, there's a lot going for this whole property and it's just us 
It's just about us getting out there and being able to realize all this. Well, but that's, that's I think so that's, I that's true, right? So, because there's nothing a geologist loves more than an anomaly, right? And as you say, it could mean anything. They don't always convert into what you hope. So what in your experience is leading you to believe you can put an 850 million pound number there? Just looking at the geophysics and looking and identifying the structures that exist here, knowing the terrain that we're in, that this is a mineralized trend. We have uranium on the system already. We're in the right massive flexure like this. This is not a small thing. That flexure is, is a key component. The shape of the property is a key component to finding uranium. If you, if you consider the whole funnel idea, you come out and you just, you branch and you bifurcate. You, it, where I showed in the, in the presentation on the, the northeast end of the property, you've got one conductor. By the end of the property, you're now down to four or five. That's bifurcation. That's structures coming together, branching off. This is what creates porosity in the rocks, which is what you need. This is what you move fluids off. Have you ever been in a traffic jam? It's the same type of system. You know that when cars are all trying to get into one lane, they all merge together and everything slows down, just causes chaos and disruption. Well, it's the same thing with, with faults, but almost in the convex, convex sense that, you know, you get these bifurcating structures that just allows fluids to go to, to migrate more, migrate quicker. You get two structures like this. Now you can move fluids along there. That's great. But it's not until you start adding structures in like this as well, that now you've created such a, uh, a vacuum that just sucks in the fluids. And you, with all of these extra breaks, you've got a lot more fluid interaction happening in there. You've got a lot more places for deposition. So this is the type of area that we're looking at. The, the whole Virgin River shear zone is a massive structural system. It's been reactivated. And it's just, it's got a lot of potential to it. And no one's ever looked at this. This is completely outside the box thinking. You now it, it's only been covered by partial geophysics, uh, by, by regional government geophysics, and never had boots on the ground. We're the first guys to have a look at this area and say, hey, look, there's potential for uranium out there. In all honesty, there's actually more than just potential for uranium out there. There could be potential for copper. could even be potential for gold, since there has been gold showings just north of the property. So it's, it's got a lot going for it. it. It has got a lot going for it, and you're very, very excited. But um, I want to try and help investors work out whether they should be excited, or is this just an early stage project where they should sit back and wait and see what happens, right? Because this come back to this, three and a half million bucks, you've got to, you've got to get your permits in place, be able to start drilling in January, Q1, Q1, let's go with, okay. and. And all of the other activity that you're doing. So, what are you going to? What do you hope you're going to be able to tell people at the end of that um, drill program? What do you think you need to be able to set them their drill program, not just the market, but to be able to go and, go and raise more capital? What I really want to do with this drill program, obviously, make a discovery. That's that's the key. But to what the does that look thing. like? Give me give what? me some numbers. What does it need to look like? Because you know everything. You know you can have a technical success. Doesn't mean anything. But what do you, what do you think true. the market's going to need to hear? What do you think funders are going to need to hear? Uh, 10 meters, 1%. I honestly think any little sniff out there, for me, any little sniff, that's important because the best way to find uranium is to follow uranium. There's no doubt about that. Uh, the, other, the other thing that I can consider very successful is the ability to identify hydrothermal alteration systems on the property because you're not going to get a uranium deposit without those hydrothermal systems. 
So that's that's where I really love gravity coming in because I can almost guarantee that I would find if they exist there, if they exist on the property, and they're in these areas that we're targeting already, then gravity survey will pick them out. We'll, we'll be able to drill them. Once we see that, and we can tell, like we're either going to hit mineralization or not, because it may not exist. There are you know barren barren alteration systems out there. That's the reality of the situation across any commodity coil. But we'll be able to tell if there has been uranium and it's migrated. And if that's the case, then it's just a matter of figuring out which way did it go. Did it go up? Did it go down? Did it go left or right? And so that's, you know, we're going to learn a lot no matter what we do. If we're successful, that's the best thing we can ever ask for. And, you know, if, if we're successful, it doesn't have to be anything big. It's like, I just keep remembering what we did for the next gen discovery. We had 20 meters at about 0.15%. There's all these vein systems. That was just in the upper zone that we had multiple zones throughout. But it was not a big, you know, these were not big intersections that we found for arrow. If we can replicate something like that, that's just, that's game on. Any sign of uranium out there, I think, is huge for the property and we'll move this thing forward and we'll continue to fund it and be aggressive with it. Okay, we, we talk a lot about the macro with um, certainly the Cross Investor Club members. We've got our weekly show. We talk about firms. We also talk about companies. We talk about a thing, as Tim Kessel mentioned, you know, hyper promoted companies. There's a lot of noise out there, which you're competing against. You know, perhaps then maybe they're better at promoting than you. So, what's 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 your message? What's the, why should people be looking at your project versus all of these other uranium players out there? Oh, I expect people to do their due diligence. Simple as that. Uh, what we have going for us is you know, not just the properties, but we've got the technical expertise that know how to make a discovery, that have worked on discoveries. Now, myself, uh, I say I've got 500 million pounds of euthyria weights to my name. And that's indirect and direct because I've been there. I've been on projects that have had, you know, before the discoveries were made over at uh, the Wheeler River project for Denison. I've been on the half of the project. I've helped discover next gen zero. So it's, you know, I, I think that we have the right team. We have the right common sense of, of technical and financial expertise through our, our chairman, Stephen, and his ore finders group. So we clearly differentiate ourselves. Well, we differentiate ourselves from our competitors by, by having such a you know, well-versed and, uh, I guess, Professional, we're professional. What's the word I'm looking for, though? Uh, words escaping me. It's too early in the morning. It's only seven o'clock here. <laughs> but I, I just think we've, you know, with what we've done, looking outside the box. I think this is how this is how we differentiate ourselves. And we again, we're we're not looking at the sandstone. We're looking at something that can move forward. It's all about the discovery at this point in stage because that's what we're we're an explorer. We're not a developer. So making that discovery is the important part. Uh, there's, a, there's a story that I'd, I'd like to be able to tell you, actually, you know, just to kind of allude to how, oh, how I personally differentiate myself and why I, think, why I think that thinking outside the box is actually very key. So back in high school, I, we had a project. And it was, it was a calculus project. And the project was that you had a piece of paper, it was a bristle board, so a little bit thicker than, than regular paper, and you had to make a cylinder with the largest surface area, and the cylinder had to be capped. So you could cut the paper in any which way possible to make 
the largest, make the cylinder with the largest surface area. But you weren't allowed to have any gaps. So what I did was I took the bristle board and I peeled it down, down the middle. So I basically created twice as much paper to work with than, than was theoretically possible. So the cylinder that I created was a lot larger than the theoretical, than the theoretical cylinder. That was outside the box thinking. My professor failed me on it. My teacher failed me on it. But again, it's just, you know, that's a story that I've, I've taken with me wherever I go. And I think it just highlights that you know, I'm, I am this type of guy. I can think outside the box. Whereas those other people will see, here's your cylinder. I will see, here's more than your cylinder. And I can prove to do it. And this is, this is kind of the, the mentality and the way that, that I just see geology as well. Is just, uh, I look at things different. You know, I like to... I like to see what happens on this side. I like to see what happens on that side. I like to see what happens in the middle. Then I like to see what happens over here and back there. You know, it's just, it's always looking at things in a whole new perspective. So I think that's where baseload really differentiate yourself from anybody else in, in the base. We just, you know, we look at things differently. No, I, I, I get you're it. You're not going to get the same, you're not going to get the same rhythm or roll from, uh, from us that you would from any other explorer in the base. I get that, but you don't want the market to give you an F either, do you? So you're going to have to talk to them and deliver this quickly, right? You said quickly, and I think the pe people can latch onto that because if you look at the, the at uranium cycles, you look at what you said in there, which was, we think we've got something that will be mined. Not a lot of people can say that right now. And I think you, you give the example of something you wrote about, you know, there are six companies which have got into um, some kind of produ production stage, but only two have been mined, right? You, you may reference that. If you can show that you can expedite matters, it is open pitable and it is therefore cheap and therefore attractive. I agree with you. The grades don't need to be stellar like we're seeing in some, some, of, the, some of the press releases out of the Athabasca Basin. It just needs to be accessible and economic. So, no, I, I, I get that. Um, we now need some drill results. We need to know... Well, you need Absolutely. to know what you're dealing with and tell us. Yep, and that's, you know, we're obviously trying to get there. That's cute. Like, like we were talking about 2021, Q1 2021, that's where we will start to see some magic happen. Right now, we're blue sky potential. Even after drilling, we're still blue sky potential. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of areas out there. I'm not, uh, I've shown a few examples that I've seen on the property. That's not to say the rest of the property is bunk. There's a lot going for it. It's a, it's a fantastic property, so we'll be able to kick the can multiple times. Uh, I do really hope that we are successful right off the bat. I'm not the type of guy who's just going to sit back and say, oh, no, all right, we missed. Let's just uh, let's pack it up and get out. I'm going to pound this thing out. I want to make a discovery. That's my drive. I love discovery. It's a rush. So you know, I've got my own personal goal that I want to get to, and that's I want to see a 1,000 pounds of discovery in my name. Cool. How much time are you spending on this now? Quite ambitious. How much time are you spending Sorry. on this now? Because you, you also got a day job at Appia, haven't you? Quite a bit here. This is this is definitely a lot of my big focus right now. Simply because it's you know I love Shadow. I love some of the Appia properties as well. But this is you know this is the right time for everything. Baseload needs to get going. You need to establish yourselves. We need that ball to really roll, and we need it to roll hard and fast. I don't want something that'll just trickle along, trickle along. This has got to go, this has got to be motorized and just kick it into high gear. It, we've, we've got a lot of investor faith in this. You know, it's 
uh, like I said, uh, about talking with uh, the retail investors, these guys who have followed my career, they've backed my career, they've got a lot of faith in me. I don't want to let them down. You know, it's, it's a lot of pressure on my shoulders, but this is, this is really who I work for. You know, I want, I want, I'm still young. I'm 40 years old. Uh, I see a long career ahead of me. So I don't want to just be this guy who, oh yeah, you know, it's another Sykes promotion, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. I want people to back the winner. So a discovery here is huge. And I will strive for that with base load. Even if it's not a shadow, we've got hook. Uh, we're looking at other projects in the Athabasca Basin area that could have the same potential. So we're very actively engaged in looking to make baseload a huge roaring success as much as possible. So that's, you know, that's what we're about. That's who I'm about. And that's where I think we do differentiate ourselves. Good, okay, James. We are very active. We're very aggressive. We're very hungry. We want that discovery. No, I, I get it. I get it, James. And like, I appreciate it. Um, that's um, well understood. Um, I thank you for your time today. I think you've got something quite interesting going on there. Please stay in touch. I'd love to see how you get on in, in January when you do when the drill bit does start moving and things do start, you know, accelerating. Um, because we'd be keen, we'd be keen to see if the story does stand out from the rest. Oh, once we get that gravity survey done and start seeing the results from that, I'll be uh, I'll be in high gear again. I'm already in high gear, but I'll be I'll be in overdrive basically. That's what's that's what's going to get me going. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.